Hello all and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Why Can't Jack Come Home? Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from case number 0353 in the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. You know, today's episode could have easily been titled, When is a Slam Dunk Not a Slam Dunk? Or, Nothing is Easy When It Comes to Returning Our MIAs to Their Families. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. We dedicate this episode to the entire family of Private First Class John Cecil DeLellis, a family that was left in doubt for many, many years and has hung in there for years waiting and waiting and waiting on a case that seems to us should have been solved many years ago. And every year we say the same thing to Jack's family. Maybe this is the year that Jack comes home. And now, on with the show. Perhaps the most intriguing mystery, among several associated with the Battle of Tarawa in 1943, is the identity of Marines buried as unknowns that were recovered from, specifically, Cemetery 26 on Tarawa by personnel from the American Graves Registration Service, who we sometimes called AGRIS. They recovered those unknowns in March 1946. The war in the Pacific had been over for only seven months or so when America decided it was time to bring its war dead home. Boys who had been temporarily buried in jungles and mountains and deserts and faraway places around the globe that most Americans only knew from the newsreels. Thousands of these buried American servicemen and women did come home to their families for burial in the family plot or a national cemetery, but not Private First Class John Cecil D. Lellis. Jack, as he was known, was born in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Jack's father was originally from Italy. He was a World War I veteran and a shoemaker who owned his own shoe repair shop. Jack's mother was born in England and occasionally worked at the VA hospital, Veterans Administration Hospital, where, in fact, she met Jack's father while caring for tuberculosis patients after World War I. Jack was the oldest of five children. He, he was an Eagle Scout and he attended the University of Wisconsin at Madison prior to entering the Marine Corps on 13 October 1942. And in fact, Jack's three brothers also served in World War II. Victor was in the Army, and Paul and Don were both in the Navy. Jack successfully completed his Marine Corps basic training and was soon designated for shipment overseas. By October of 1943, Jack was promoted to Private First Class and he joined C Company, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marine Division. 
This unit was stationed in New Zealand for a period of rest, refit, and training after their service in the Guadalcanal campaign before Jack joined the unit. Jack's new unit was designated to land on Red Beach 2 during the invasion of Tarawa. They were transported from their training bases in New Zealand to Tarawa on board the USS Harry Lee. The Harry Lee was affectionately known by its Navy crew as the Leaning Lee due to a perpetual starboard list. Jack's unit was, no, was loaded into LV, LCVP landing craft, that's landing craft vehicle or personnel, also known as Higgins boats, on the first day of the invasion on 20 November 1943. They were prevented from crossing the reef about 500 yards from the shore by the lack of sufficient water depth to allow the Higgins boat to cross over the coral. After taking intermittent Japanese shell fire for about two hours, the battalion commander dispatched eight LVT, that's landing vehicle tracked, amphibious tractors to their location so that the Marines could transfer to these tracked vehicles, which had the capability of crawling over the reef. At about 11.30 hours shortly before noon, these vehicles containing Jack and his fellow Marines landed on Red Beach 2. The unit huddled behind a coconut log seawall to reorganize before beginning an attack inland toward the Japanese airfield. Jack's company joined a total of all oh, about 150 Marines who were able to penetrate the Japanese defenses to reach a point north of the taxiway on the airfield by late afternoon of 20 November 1943. There, they dug in for the night to await the arrival of the remainder of the invasion force who they hoped would join them the next day. Early on the morning of the second day of the invasion, 21 November, Jack's company was ordered to advance across the airfield taxiway. The opposition by the Japanese was light, and the company was able to quickly advance about 100 yards in a southwest direction before they realized that their right flank was not supported. Shortly after noon, Jack's company restarted its attack in a staggered line straight across the runway. Once again, they met light opposition until the company reached a deep trench about a dozen yards from Black Beach 2 on the southern side of Tarawa. C Company deployed in a tight group in the trench to hold their ground. Their numbers had been greatly reduced by casualties inflicted by the Japanese defenders. And during the night, the company repulsed several probes by the enemy with grenades. On the morning of the third day, that would be 22 November, C Company counted a total of only 15 Marines still in action. At some point in the morning of 22 November, Private First Class D. Lellis received a gunshot wound to the abdomen, and he died. He was reported buried on Tarawa. And here's the mystery. In March 1946, a contingent from the American Graves Registration Unit, Agris, split into four teams to scatter all over the island of Tarawa to excavate isolated barrels, burials and over 40 designated cemeteries, large and small, to locate, recover, and identify over 900 American Marines, sailors, and airmen who had been lost during the Battle of Tarawa. Agris knew exactly where Private First Class D. Lellis was buried. Row 2, Grave 50, and Cemetery Number 26 on Tarawa.
Well, how did they know? Because they had a list with the names of 42 men buried there by the man who directed their burials, Chaplain Douglas Vernon, 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines. Chaplain Vernon submitted an official report while he was on board the USS Haywood en route back to Hawaii on 29 November 1943, seven days after Jack's death. The report stated that he and another chaplain, Father Francis Kelly, read burial services over 42 burials at 1,200 hours, that's high noon, on November 22, 1943, and he listed 42 names in alphabetical order. And you guessed it, Jack's name was on the list. By the way, this important clue, the report by the chaplain, was not included in the files at the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC, when I first began working on Jack's case while a member of the Department of Defense in 2011. It was not until several years later that researchers from the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation found Chaplain Vernon's report buried in the National Archives. And there was an interesting thing about that report. It made Jack's name on the list very unique. He was the only one on the report whose notation included his last name, but not his first name. And his company, battalion, and division assignment, C Company, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marine Division. And his previous rank of private, not private first class. And the list did not contain his service number. This was very odd. This indicated to Foundation investigators that when Jack was buried in grave 50 of row 2 in Cemetery 26, he did not have his dog tags with his full name and service number. And he was probably identified by someone from his own unit who knew him personally. For an MIA investigator, positive identifications prior to burial are as rare as they are definitive. It just doesn't get much better than that. Except... It did get better for Agra's personnel in 1946, who had been sent to bring Jack home along with the other Marines buried in Cemetery 26. They had Father Kelly accompany them to Tarawa to the point out to them the exact spot where he had buried Jack in Cemetery 26 three years earlier. While other Agra's members struggled to find even very large cemeteries on Tarawa, Father Kelly walked them to the exact location near what had been Red Beach 2 and said, Dig here. And dig here they did. In fact, the Agra's efforts were more successful than they ever dreamed. Agra's personnel began their recovery efforts on Tarawa with Cemetery 26 on the second day of field operations, 18 March 1946. They expected to find between 150 and 119 individuals buried in Cemetery 26. But eight days later, they had found 123 sets of remains and recovered them from there. Based on the numbers, there's no doubt that if Jack was buried there, as Chaplain Vernon reported, Agris must have found him. Unfortunately, Agris made one very large mistake. They didn't note which row or grave number they recovered the remains from. And remember, it's likely that Jack did not have his dog tags when he was buried. What should have been a slam-dunk ID of Jack in 1946 
from row two, gray 50, was sadly missed because Agris did not correlate that grave number with Jack's burial. One set of remains recovered from Agris from Cemetery 26 was identified in the field as belonging to Private First Class Bernard Oscar Larson. This later became of interest to Jack's case because PFC Larson was listed in another report as being buried just to the right of Jack in grave number 51. And remember, Jack was reported buried in grave number 50. Sadly, Jack and 34 other sets of remains recovered from Cemetery 26 were reburied as unknowns on Tarawa at a location known as Lone Palm Cemetery. But not before some hastily trained Agris dental technicians attempted to identify them by dental charts. But again, no slam dunk ID was made of Jack at Lone Palm Cemetery. A few months later, all of the Marines buried at Lone Palm, undoubtedly including Jack as an unknown, were disinterred again and taken to the Army Central Identification Laboratory in Honolulu, Hawaii. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Surely the highly trained forensic anthropologist at the Central Identification Laboratory could identify Jack. Wrong again. No slam dunk ID for Jack at the laboratory. Ultimately, and they did identify several of the unknowns, but ultimately, 20 unknowns from Cemetery 26 were buried again, this time in the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu in 1948. And there, <laughs> they all waited for me to be assigned their cases, all of their cases, while I was at JPAC in 2011. Even without Chaplain Vernon's report verifying Jack's burial in Cemetery 26, I was able to narrow 521 possible matches to Jack down to just 11 that could be Jack using the Random Incident Statistical Correlation System. Surely there was a slam dunk for JPAC somewhere in that kind of very specific analysis given their vaunted lab's modern expertise. Come to find out, the JPEG lab had about the same level of expertise as the Central Identification Laboratory had had in 1947. Not much had changed. And there was no slam dunk for Jack again. By the time Jack's family first contacted the Foundation in 2015, we had narrowed the list of punchbowl unknowns that could be Jack down to just eight most likely matches. And we recommended that the family submit their DNA to the Department of Defense in the hopes for a modern DNA identification or a modern slam dunk for Jack. Well, it took almost five years before someone in the Department of Defense finally read my JPAC reports on Jack and the other Tarawa unknowns. In the meantime, <laughs> JPAC had been disbanded for a number of reasons, including acute dysfunction. That's a quote. No kidding, I didn't make that up. It is a direct quote from a congressional hearing into JPAC's activities. During the period from October 2016 through May 2017, all of the Tarawa unknowns were exhumed from the Punchbowl Cemetery and taken to a brand new $85 million defense POW-MIA accounting agency laboratory in Honolulu. It was another chance for someone in the government 
to slam dunk Jack back home to his family. Well, you guessed it again, no luck. Crickets, silence, no information about Jack from the Department of Defense. But, and there's always a but in history's military mysteries, the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency paid a private contractor about $8 million to do their job and search for missing servicemen like Jack. To earn their money, the contractor decided to redig all of Cemetery 26. They didn't find Jack, or they didn't find any other bodies of MIAs. They did find a few small bones that had been inadvertently left behind by the Agris disinterments during 1946. Thanks to the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory, the small bones left behind were identified as belonging to four MIAs that are actually, like Jack, on Chaplain Vernon's report. And they were identified as buried in the same row as Jack. These, in, these identifications made by the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory were of Private First Class Michael Kokopi. First Lieutenant Justin Mills and Private First Class Norman Buon and Sergeant Dwayne Cole. Lieutenant Mills and PFC Buon were actually from the same company as Jack. And just when you think things couldn't get more favorable for a slam dunk, finally, one of the bones left behind that we mentioned was identified by Afdil as belonging to Jack's company commander. Lieutenant Justin Mills. And guess which grave Lieutenant Mills was reported buried in? On the other side of Jack in grave number 49. So, we have one Marine identified in grave number 51, one Marine identified in grave number 49, and Jack in grave number 50 remaining unidentified. So, just to kind of recap all of these slam-dunk clues for any of you who want to try your hand at solving Jack's case, here they are. 1. Jack died on the morning of 22 November 1943. 2. By noon on the same day, he was identified by someone who probably knew him. 3. The chaplain who read the burial services listed him in an official report as being buried in Cemetery 26. Four, a later report specified Jack's burial site specifically as row 2, gray 50, in Cemetery 26. Five, every grave in Cemetery 26 was found and exhumed by the American Graves Registration Service in 1946. Six, the Marine listed as buried on the right side of Jack in gray 51 was identified by Agris in 1946. Seven, all the unknowns from Cemetery 26 who could not be identified were ultimately buried in the Punchbowl Cemetery in 1947. 8. Cemetery 26 was re-excavated in 2015 and only small bones were found. 9. The Marine listed as buried on the other side of Jack in grave number 49 was identified by DNA by a single bone found during the re-excavation in 2015. 10. Although Jack's grave is bracketed by Marines who have now been identified, no trace of Jack has been announced. 11. Jack is currently a biometric match, according to the risk system, to six unknowns from Tarawa 
who are stored in boxes at the DPAA laboratory in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, and by the way, none of the four Marines that had small bones found during the re-excavation of Cemetery 26, none of those four have been identified as an unknown. So, is your investigative conclusion that the Tarawa unknowns disinterred from the punch bowl must certainly include Jack? If so, we agree with you. So the question remains, why can't Jack come home? As a postscript to this story, one of the first members of Jack's family, Anise, to contact us seven years ago, recently passed away. Still waiting for the answer to the question, why can't Jack come home? While she did not live long enough to learn the answer, we won't forget Jack until we know why can't Jack come home. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. No Home for Heroes is featured on just about any podcast site all across the world. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>